This is Mountain News and World Report, WMMT's weekly sojourn into life in central Appalachia. We now invite you to join us for a visit with folks you may or may not know, items of interest to us all, and shining moments in our living history. Welcome to Mountain News and World Report. I'm Rachel Geringer. In today's program, we have three stories about fundamental needs in our community. Educational programs that prepare students for real jobs, pensions that allow our public workers to retire, and access to fast, affordable rural internet. First, we'll hear a story about a new project happening in Eastern Kentucky vocational schools. The Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative got a big federal grant three years ago, and they've spent that money trying to create new opportunities for their students. A project called Building It Forward has vocational students building tiny homes, and WMMT's own Benny Becker reports. In eastern Kentucky's coal country, jobs are scarce, and many people struggle with substandard housing. Some high school students think they can help tackle those big problems by building tiny houses. As part of the series Changing Course, Benny Becker reports on a project called Building It Forward. It has vocational students designing, building, and selling tiny homes. So come in, we'll In the back of a parking lot in Hazard, Kentucky, Desi Bowling shows visitors around a tiny house built by students from nearby Knott County. If you look up in the loft, it has a queen-size bed. This tiny house is built on an 18-foot-long trailer bed. It has a beautiful oak interior, and there's no space wasted. There are even drawers built into the stairs. Bowling is the associate director of the Kentucky Valley Educational Cooperative. This past school year, the cooperative funded three Eastern Kentucky vocational schools to design and build tiny homes. The project gives students practical skills working as a team, and Bowling explains each of the schools can afford to build a second tiny house this year, because all three structures sold at a profit. Each year, these will be sold to be able to continue this project next year, and kids, as they come through, everybody will have this opportunity. Three years ago, the cooperative won a $30 million federal grant to fund innovation and personalized education in classrooms throughout eastern Kentucky. Bowling says the Tiny House Project is an effort to make sure that all of the cooperative schools offer classes that are interesting and valuable to students, even if they're not planning on going to college. One group that may not have benefited right from the beginning was a vocational school student. That rumble in the background is the sound of another student-built tiny home getting hauled away. Charles Hawkins explained that one of his sons bought it to use as temporary housing. They discovered that they had a black mold in the house. So they're going to get this to use until that's finished. Hawkins says he thinks it's important that schools focus on practical projects like building tiny homes. Every kid that goes to school is not destined to become a lawyer or a doctor. Somebody's got to wire the house. Every student I've spoken to has said they really enjoy learning these kinds of practical skills. For instance, Charles Colin Mosley, who worked on the drawers and stairs you heard about earlier. So I took a lot of pride in those steps. These are custom. They're real sturdy. I'm just really proud of it. Three schools are building their second tiny house this year, and five other schools got funding from the cooperative to join the ranks and build their own tiny homes. The vocational school in Letcher County, Kentucky, is one of the sites building a tiny house for the first time. 
Could you explain what's going on here? Um, yes, yeah, so we had to cut a piece of OSB, and now they're just knocking it in with a piece of wood and drilling holes on the side of it. Then they're just going to screw it down, and then that's four laid. That's Haley Hart, a student in the carpentry class. She says she likes how much freedom she has in this class to come up with ideas and see them through. Because most of the time whenever you're in other classrooms, if you have an idea, you're not allowed to do it. But in here, you're allowed to do anything that comes to your mind. Hart says the class has made her more confident. I would have ever imagined I could be like in the process of helping building a tiny house. One of her classmates, Matthew Collier, says he thinks the tiny house project has given all the students not just confidence, but also a new sense of hope. Everybody loves this class. We do the best we can, and when we get finished, buddy, it will look like a million dollars. Right now, eight schools in eastern Kentucky are building tiny houses. Students have a deadline to finish construction by April when the tiny homes will be exhibited and put up for auction to fund another round of tiny house building at each school. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Benny Becker in Whitesburg, Kentucky. That story came to us from the Ohio Valley Resource, which is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. If you use the internet, or are one of many rural residents hoping to get affordable internet access, December 14th was a big day. The Federal Communications Commission voted 3-2 to two to dismantle net neutrality, the open internet principles that more than 80% of Americans support. The plan was proposed by Ajit Pai, President Trump's choice for FCC chairman, and FCC commissioners voted along party lines. Their vote means that internet is no longer classified as a public utility or Title II service. That weakens universal service requirements and consumer protections. Whitney Kimball Coe is raising a family in Athens, Tennessee, a small town south of Knoxville. She also coordinates the National Rural Assembly and is director of national programs for the Center for Rural Strategies. The following is an editorial she wrote for her local paper in which she relates her concerns about the impact the FCC changes will have on rural communities, such as those in our WMMT listening area. Please don't break the internet before rural gets it. That's what my pal and co-worker Adele Casaparalta wrote in an op-ed back in 2014. Her message was aimed at the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, which was at that time developing rules for protecting free speech and access to the Internet, rules that are now part of a concept known as network neutrality, or net neutrality. Net neutrality is absolutely the kind of tech jargon that puts people to sleep, I know, but please stay with me because upcoming changes to net neutrality rules have broad implications for growth and well-being in communities like my home in rural East Tennessee. At its core, net neutrality means that the internet is a neutral playing field where all content that is legal gets treated equally and no information or website gets preferential treatment or faster speeds from providers like Comcast or Verizon or AT&T. To put it another way, providers can't block, throttle, or charge content creators like businesses for faster lanes to consumers. As a consumer, I should be able to look at the New York Times online and my local newspaper, the Daily Post-Athenian, with equal ease, and our local coffee shop should be able to reach people online with the same efficiency as Starbucks. 
Current net neutrality rules also designate broadband as a Title II public utility, like telephone and electricity, which means providers have to honor a consumer's request for service if it's reasonable. This means that communities everywhere, including our rural areas, have some leverage when it comes to demanding internet connection. But that leverage is now being challenged, along with net neutrality rules. Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai has recommended a complete repeal of both the Title II classification and net neutrality, making it easier for giant providers in this area to revert back to redlining practices. Currently, an estimated 23 million people living in U.S. rural communities and towns do not have access to Internet or fixed broadband service. In Tennessee, only 2% of city dwellers lack access to quality broadband connectivity, compared to 34% of rural residents. The numbers are similar in Kentucky. That kind of digital divide means rural people are unable to access the kind of health care, education, and economic and business opportunities that bigger cities enjoy. It also means that rural voices are not fully represented in our democracy because they are not present in online civic dialogues and content production. Conversations about broadband, the internet, and net neutrality can absolutely become intimidating and technical really fast. So don't stress if you're not ready for the technical side of the discussion. Just remember that you have an individual story to tell about why an open and quality connection to the internet is essential to you, to your family, and, and to the future of your community. What can you do right now? Share your story with state and local leaders and let them know that you want and need high-speed broadband with open access. And with our national representatives, we can advocate for net neutrality rules that will allow our local businesses, nonprofits, and everyday citizens to participate equally with our urban peers. And most importantly, we want to be able to tell our story so others won't tell it for us. That was Whitney Kimball Coe, coordinator of the National Rural Assembly and a resident of Athens, Tennessee. In our last story on today's program, we're going to hear from a rally held earlier this month at the Whitesburg, Kentucky Courthouse in opposition to Governor Bevin's plans to make changes to the state's public pension system. All right. Um, our next speaker up here is going to be Miss Regina Brown. And uh, for those of you that don't know, this gal here has been fighting this for 30 years. She has seen every crooked person come in and out of Frankfurt with every broken promise and every silly idea that they've had to try to do things. And so um, if anybody in this county, probably in eastern Kentucky, knows more about the problems we've faced with this, I'd be really shocked. But this is Miss Regina Brown. Good morning, Lester County. I'm glad you all come out this morning. I'm glad those of you that are not from Letcher County are here to join us this morning. You are in the finest neck of the woods in the state of Kentucky. Now, let's talk pension. Uh, you know, I started this 29, this past 29 years ago, actually a little earlier than that, because I've always been in public education, because I started in a public school system when I was in kindergarten, went all the way through 12th grade in a public education type setting in this county graduated from a fine school, Letcher High School, and attended a fine public university, Moorhead State University, where I obtained every degree I have. And all of them were funded by taxpaying dollars. And we live and die by the taxpaying dollar. 
And this state, for 29 years of my teaching career, has had a problem, and it's called a funding problem. And every time I've went to Frankfurt, and believe me, I don't even have to look at a map to get there, and my truck knows the path. Every time I go, I sit down with Republican and Democrat legislators alike, and governors, both sides of the aisle over the years, and there's been one thing they've told me. Regina, the only way to fix this problem is to change the way that we tax our state. Our tax code is outdated, it's archaic, and it doesn't generate the revenue that our state needs to provide quality public education and quality public services for our state and our commonwealth and our children. And every single time I've went down there, Sandy Banks has went with me many times, a lot of other people out in this crowd, every time I've went down there I've been told that and then I've been told, oh, but we're not gonna tackle that problem this time. Oh, but we're not going to tackle that problem this time. And that's been going on my entire career. Well, we're at a, we're at a juncture, and we've had a promise made to us. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in promises. You know, I was raised in an era where it wasn't uncommon for someone to give their word and us to expect them to keep their word. And, and you know, today our, our climate is not as such, evidently, because there's been promises kept and promises are not going to be made. You know, last year, the governor did mention our pension, and I appreciate his focus on the pension problem. It needs to be focused. We need to know about it, and it needs to be fixed. But the fix for that problem is not on the backs of the people that work in that problem. The fix for that problem is doing exactly what they need to do in January, which is restructure our tax code and generate revenue for this commonwealth that pays for our public services and pays for our retirees. The answer is not not to change the system we have. The answer is to fund the system we have as promised. Thank you, everybody. We um, have, we're, thank you so much. Uh, we got another uh, fine speaker here, and she's been in uh, KEA leadership for 26, 27 years. Um, her name is Wa Miss Juanita Spangler. And come on up, and uh, she's a teacher at Whitesburg Middle School. Unlike Regina, I have to write mine down. <laughs> As a language arts teacher, that's what I teach my children to do, so I'm setting an example here. Um, my name is Juanita Spangler. I'm a sixth grade and an eighth grade teacher at Whitesburg Middle School here in Letcher County. I'm also a KEA member. I'm also your UK REA president. Regina Brown has taught me well, okay, I have to say. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to our small town and Thank you. Thank the sponsors and the speakers for allowing this gathering to take place. We are small, but we are loud. Dynamite comes in small packages, okay? <laughs> 27 years ago, I became an employee of this Commonwealth in the field of education. At that time, I was told by a very wise man that I sure wouldn't make a lot of money doing this, but I would be happy with my choice. And when I retired, I would have a pension that would allow me to live a little comfortably. He was correct about one thing. I have been extremely happy teaching the students that have passed through my classroom and my life. And they are my kids. I gave birth to one 
but I'm a mom to many. As the years have passed, I pr I'm proud to say that the majority of my kids have become successful in their own careers. I've taught police officers, I've taught firefighters, social workers, and even some really good educators. I'm also working with some of them now, and that's a little different when you're working with the kids you taught. I see the pride that they take in serving their community and their state, and they're the reason that I fight for this cause. My daughter went on to work for the state. I'm fighting for her also. My granddaughter is planning to be a teacher. I'm fighting for her future too. My other granddaughter would like to go into social work. I'm fighting for her, and I'm hoping that the boys will go into that too. <laughs> they, we, do not deserve the attacks that have been lobbed at us over our so-called sick day hoarding, our lack of sophistication, or being called liars and sowers of dissent, discord, and division because it serves our own purpose. Our governor did say that to us and about us. Our purpose in this state is to serve, and we do so willingly when we're sick, when we're broke. Not very often does it serve our own purpose since we are here to serve others. The ability to attract and retain individuals who have the dedication and the drive to continue to serve our public is vital to the success of our community across this commonwealth. Little communities, big communities, every community has to have state workers. Because public servants do not go into their chosen fields for the high pay, the lavish working conditions, or the respect they deserve, there has to be something to continue to reward them at the time they choose to retire. I'm proud to stand before you this afternoon and urge you to continue to stand together in the fight against the destruction of our future. There have been many people who have tried to call this an issue only pertaining to a certain group of people. Let me clear this up. This is not an educator issue. It's not a police officer issue. It's not a social worker issue or a firefighter issue. It's not an issue for any non-hazardous duty employee. It's a Kentucky issue. It's not a Republican issue, and it's not a Democrat issue. It does not matter whether you draw a single penny of your paycheck from the state every month, every two weeks, or however often. It is your issue, and you need to be involved. On October the 18th, Governor Bevan presented us with a version of a pension reform that was supposed to fix all of our financial problems and be better than anything we've ever had. Fortunately, we are educated and sophisticated enough to realize that this plan actually wipes out the, the promised pension and the possibility of attracting the best, the brightest, the finest, and the hardest working individuals to our state to protect, guide, mentor our greatest asset, our children. Our children, just like the one you're holding. Our governor has promised this Commonwealth a special session dedicated to pension reform. At this point in the year, we should be up in arms about his freehand spending of our taxpayer dollars for this session to try to fix something in five days that would fix itself once tax reform in our state is addressed in the regular session that begins one month from today. Many of you have told your stories, made your calls, written your emails, your letters, spoke your piece and spread the word from one end of the state to the other. Keep it going. This is not the time to become inactive. I know you're tired. 
Our governor knows you're tired. That's what he's counting on. Don't give up. Don't give in. Be ready when you're needed. Keep calling your representative. We talk to ours on a daily basis. <laughs> Call your senator. Send that email again. Send another letter. Send him a Christmas card. Tell him your story. Tell him to fulfill the promise that was made to our state employees. Thank you. This next gal here is Letcher County native. And uh, a good friend of mine uh, likes to kind of call her a triple espresso with a chaser of bourbon. I don't know if that's a good modifier or not, but she's one of the best friends I've ever met. Uh, she is an activist for everybody, and it doesn't matter if, if she doesn't work in the same field as you. If she knows you're getting wronged, she's going to fight like hell to make sure that justice is done your way. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Nima Brewer. How y'all doing? So as Jason said, I'm born and raised in Letcher County. I'm from Whitesburg. I'm Whitesburg proud. I actually went to school at West Whitesburg Elementary. Middle school at Whitesburg Middle School. Remember when they first opened up the doors? And I also went to Whitesburg High School back before they shut it down. Uh, he here's what I'm here today to tell y'all. Uh, I'm not going to use a podium and I'm not going to use a speech. I'm, I'm not a fancy pants politician like Miss Angie Hatton is. Uh, and I don't ever want to be one. Uh, I always like to open up my stuff with uh, a quote from Miss Mother Jones, who was a hell-raising uh, coal uh, labor activist, and she liked to say she's a, uh, not a humanitarian, she's a hell-raiser. Well, I'm here to raise some hell today, and I hope you all are here to raise some hell with me, because I'm going to tell you all right now what's going on in Frankfurt ain't right. It is not right. And I remember growing up when down here on the street there was the Hobbs store and crafts and I remember going and getting a burger at Quillen's and uh, all those things and I remember my daddy was a coal miner United Mine Worker Proud and they struck a lot and they did it because it was the right thing to do it was the right thing for their benefits it was the right thing for their pay for their safety and I'm looking out at this crowd right now, and I'm going to tell you all, I'm disappointed. My daddy would be disappointed, and I'm going to tell you why, because this isn't the Whitesburg that I know. The Whitesburg I know had the RC Cola plant bring cases and cases and cases of RC to our house when daddy and them were striking. The community rallied together, and they all stood for their neighbors and what was right. So we're, what I'm wondering is this. That's what I grew up in. I got coal dust in my veins, and I know every single one of y'all do too. So what I'm wondering is where's that fight today? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I've got the fight in me, and if I have to drag every single person along with me, I'll do it. I don't want to, but I will. So here's my question. When my daddy was putting a picket uh, shack up on the corner there in Jenkins, throwing jack rocks and shooting across the picket line, where's everybody else today? Because I'm going to tell you all right now, we're in the fight for our lives as public employees. And this is what it's coming down to. That's my money. That's your money. I ain't a teacher. I'm a support services worker, proud, 14 years in Fayette County Schools. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we don't fight today, it'll all be taken away. And that's the bottom line. Now, I... I Usually I slam uh, a lot of people in Frankfurt, but because I know Representative Hatton real well, and she's done a great job for y'all here in Whitesburg and Letcher County and in Pike County, I'm, I'm not going to do that today. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I, I probably shouldn't. She's on our side, y'all. Y'all put a good one in office. You got to keep her in office. Uh, he, he, here's, he, here's my message today. My message today is to Governor Matt Bevan. And I'm going to tell y'all, I know y'all voted for him. Some of y'all did. Maybe not the people standing out here, but some people did. And I'm going to tell you right now, the only thing more important in your family is your paycheck. That's it. That's the only thing more important is your pocketbook. And right now it's in jeopardy, y'all. It is in jeopardy because we have a governor in the office up in Frankfurt that believes that we're stupid. He thinks we're hillbillies. He thinks we can't understand. Here, here's the thing. He brought out a, a, a dog turd sandwich. And we all know there's a bologna sandwich sitting behind him on the counter. And when we ask for the bologna sandwich, he says we're asking for too much. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'd rather have the bologna sandwich any day than a dog turd sandwich. I mean, the dog turd might keep you overnight, but it ain't going to keep you as long as the bologna sandwich. So here's what I'm saying today. What I'm saying today is this is what I need from everybody that came out here and everybody that ain't here today, because there's a lot of people that ain't here today. What I'm saying is you need to go home. You need to, you need to let Angie know what's going on, but you need to let uh, President Stivers know what's going on. You need to let Representative Osborne, who is the acting Speaker of the House, know what's going on. You all need to know how you feel. To let the governor know how y'all feel. Because I'm tired of getting called stupid. I'm tired of getting called unsophisticated. I'm tired of getting told that I'm gaming the system. I ain't gaming nothing. You know, the bottom line is this. They are the ones that passed the legislation that was part of my contract. I didn't have any part of my contract. I just played by the rules. Now they're changing the rules mid-game, and that ain't right, y'all. Here's the thing. This is not about politics. This is about people. And it's about all the people that are standing out here today and all the people that are listening on Facebook and all the other people in this state. If we don't stand together, y'all, we're going to lose. That's just the bottom line. And when I mean stand together, I mean the state police. I mean the teachers. I mean the custodians in the building. I mean everybody else. Nobody is left behind. And that means find funding first. I don't care. You know, my mama told me, she said she don't care who writes the check as long as they can cash it. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care who writes that check at this point. I just want to cash it. And so I'm going to tell y'all, we have to stand together today, tomorrow, and every other day after and say we will not accept any changes to our pension plan. No defined contribution plans at all, period. For future employees, too. Because we're fighting for them. And let me tell y'all something. They fought for us. We can't throw them under the bus. I'm not going to do that. Because that will make me a scab. And y'all know exactly what a scab is. And I'm going to tell you, I ain't going to go back home and look at my daddy and tell him I'm a scab. That's not going to happen. So what I'm saying to you all today is this. You dig in. You dig in hard. You tell the governor, you call him, you email him, you Twitter him, you Facebook him. You do everything you can to stop what is going on right now. It is an attack on public employees. It is an attack on public education, and it stops today. So one more thing before I drop the mic and, and head back. Here's... 
here's what I want y'all to do. I want y'all to tell your neighbors. I want you to tell your friends. Y'all might not be doing politics. You might say, you know, I just don't do politics. Well, make no mistake about it. Politics are doing you every single day. Okay? That's the truth. They're up there in Frankfurt, and they're doing you in more ways than one. And I'm going to tell y'all right now, if you don't get involved, you're going to get left behind. That's how it is. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to need y'all in Frankfurt. And I don't care if they call off school or not. We're going to need y'all in Frankfurt. You can quit hoarding them sick days, and y'all can come on to Frankfurt. Because I expect to see every person out here shoulder to shoulder with me because we're going to raise some hell in Frankfurt when the time comes. That was audio from the December 2nd, 2017 rally at the Whitesburg, Kentucky Courthouse in opposition to Governor Bevin's proposed pension reform, recorded by WMMT's Benny Becker. That's it for this edition of Mountain News and World Report. To hear more of our stories, visit WMMT.org or download our programs wherever you get your podcasts. Music on this program comes from the June Apple recording of Pigmeat Jarrett with a tune called The Walking Blues. I'm Rachel Geringer. From all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening. This has been Mountain News and World Report, a production of WMMT-FM, Mountain Community Public Radio, the non-commercial broadcast service of the world-famous Apple Shop in Whitesburg, Kentucky.